Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 6, Signe Haraday, The Radical Poetry of a Calling, Act 1, recorded July 9, 2016, at Courtney's apartment in Brooklyn, New York. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 2018 has been a bit of a funky year for me, personally. Uh, I kicked off 2018 being really proactive and about exercise. I swim, and that is, for me, the best uh, uh, method of exercise um, in addition to walking. But mostly swimming is my my jam. So my goal was to start building habits that I would go to the gym at least once a week. I'm a very busy person and finding time for this has been um, difficult and I was tired of making excuses. So I started off the first week of January where I almost talked myself out of going and ended up going and having a really wonderful time. And was building the habit of going at least once a week and, t- and actually started to go more than once a week. And then the goal was to, yeah, build that, build that and make it really a natural habit uh, uh, and a priority in my daily or weekly uh, live-in. And then I got sick and um, it was, it was a, I was sent home. I had to really sort of rest um, which was difficult uh, with my schedule, and that also meant like I just didn't have the um, energy really uh, to 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 exercise, which was actually really devastating. Um, but I was on the mend, and I ended up going on a vacation and being able to be in a warmer climate, like Bermuda, really helped me to re-energize and re-up. Uh, in terms of swimming so I was there for five days and I swam like for real three three out of the five days that I was there and that felt like okay you haven't lost it you're really you know you're still recovering but you're gonna get back into it Um, unfortunately I did have a bit of a relapse um, upon returning from my vacation so it took me a little while to ramp back up but last week was my first week back to the gym and I was lucky enough to have one of my really good friends, Signe Haraday, 
be my guest. Now, Signe is um, on a synchronized swimming team, and she is going to the gay games in the summer in Paris. And so she is about it, real about it, and has been very um, disciplined and, de- and dedicated over the last few years in preparation for this. And um, so it was really exciting to, one, be with somebody who's very experienced swimmer um, in, a, in the pool. And so I have a very particular routine, and she did too. She, had, she and I were doing our warm-ups at the same time. She was in the fast lane, and I was in the alcove with my, my tools, my, um, my weights, doing my arm exercises, doing some running and sprints in the water. Um, Meanwhile, she was literally racing in the fast lane uh, like a beast, like in the most amazing, you know, way, just going back and forth and back and forth. It was great. And it, it, it made me think, yeah, 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 this is, this is good for you. Like look what two years can do for your friend, the goals, hashtag goals. Um, So, for me, I don't get to spend a ton, a ton of time with Signe Haraday, who, when you're in her presence, uh, things get to slow down a little bit. Things are real funny, but also they get real, 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 real quick, uh, which is something I absolutely love about her. She also is um, somebody who is very open and accepting and willing to have the courageous conversations uh, that are really difficult at, uh, and can, uh, you know, you can be living in the uncomfortable deep end of the pool for a while and she makes it okay to, to be in that deep end. Um, so, like I said, Signe is a powerhouse both in the lanes and the water, but in life, she is often working on multiple projects at once and very, very busy. Um, so it was really great for me to be able to spend some quality time with her recently. And in um, re-listening to this uh, conversation that we had, I was struck by many things. Um, listening to her talk um, and and talk about her work as being an artivist, I am realizing how much impact she has had on me and actually unknowingly she has empowered me to embrace my own leadership and activism and finding ways to affect change that are that the methods of that are authentic to me and who I am and for that I'm I'm incredibly grateful that she's in my life. I hope you enjoy Signe Haraday, The Radical Poetry of a Calling, Act One. Everybody? I'm Courtney Body. And I'm And I'm here Haraday. with you, <laughs> getting ready to lay it on you thick. <laughs> thick, you ask? Thick about what? Thick. Think about the real magic in the classroom. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like that. That's a good, a good, uh, good start. Um, okay, so Signe Haraday. Oh, I'm actually Signe. You're actually Signe. Welcome to my couch. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like as soon as you put a microphone in somebody's face, like what happens? Like all of a sudden we're all on. Yeah. I wish the people listening right now could see us because it's pretty on. Well, we're, I, I, we can paint the picture, right? So uh, right now, Signe is sitting um, in the corner of the couch 
in very comfortable, lovely clothes um, with a t-shirt that says Be the Change that I'm really excited to ask more about. Word up. And um, she's also uh, knitting. Is that right? That is. I'm totally knitting. knitting. Not crochet. I don't knitting. know how to crochet. Great. I don't know the difference. Yeah. So, um, and this is this is something that you've been doing for a while now, right? The knitting? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm excited to ask more about that, too. This is going to be a great day. <laughs> uh, I'm really grateful that podcasts get edited down. Right? But also, <laughs> what, what, what I just discovered or what I think I just started thinking about is how um, a podcast is a snapshot of what's happening in the moment. And there's a lot happening right now in our country, in our hearts, in our minds, right? Say that. Um, and for me, this podcast tends to be focused on teaching artistry, but really it's more um, about how artists who teach have impact in the world and what, what their passions are and why they do this work. So that's what we're going to focus on today. That's so mostly awesome. what we're going to do is I'm going to just ask you some questions and you answer. Great. <laughs> Essentially. This is I'm like the best listen gig. Hard. It's the best gig ever. It's a great gig, right? It is. And if you need anything, you let me know. All right. Okay. Cool. So um, for me, I grew up in New York, but uh, I, I am always fascinated by your upbringing. Um, tell me how the arts were a part of your childhood. Oh, wow. That's a that's a great question. Um, arts and childhood. Well, I, I actually grew up in Los Angeles, um, and my father was a minister. And in many ways, my artistry started there, you know, singing uh, at church and participating in art-related activities through church and then later school. Um, I will say that growing up in an interracial household in Los Angeles... Um, my parents had a lot of ideas in the 70s. My parents had a lot of ideas about what does a healthy upbringing look like um, and really tried to make intentional choices about making sure that we had access to activities that expanded our mind and our hearts and our spirit. And I I'm, couldn't be more grateful for those opportunities. They, without a doubt, have shaped who I am, how I experience the world. Um, and, and that meant that we were busy, you know? We were doing sports, we were doing arts, we were doing um, piano lessons and many of those things. And, and through those experiences also built loving, important relationships. Uh, the only grandmother I ever had the pleasure of meeting and having a physical relationship with was actually the church organist. Um, in the church that my dad was a pastor of in Los Angeles, and she was my grandmother. She was also my piano teacher. Um, and she was also a woman who had a master's degree in music, which, again, these are life lessons that I was exposed to in early childhood that made the world seem endlessly possible. Mm. I can relate. I can definitely relate. The whole church thing, both my parents were very involved in the church, not specifically as ministers, but my mother was a Eucharistic minister. My dad was the cantor and then also the lectern um, and would be a part of... Um... Your dad was? Oh, yeah, he sang. So... Yeah. You know, my dad used to sing the full liturgy. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, and both of our fathers have passed mm -hmm. in recent times. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I do. I miss those. I do miss those like childhood moments of listening. I used to mm-hmm. fall asleep a lot in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because my dad would also like be my storyteller right. and be my everything in that um. way. So hearing his voice in the pulpit sometimes or singing the liturgy was so soothing to me. That's really, that's lovely actually. Yeah. I can't, it's, it's funny because yeah. uh, when you said I used to fall asleep and then had this beautiful story, all I can remember is that my dad used to fall asleep on the altar because he had diabetes and he would just fall asleep <laughs> but wow. as soon as it was my his dad cue, also had diabetes look at all all of these parallels as soon as it was his cue he'd be up ready to sing and he there had this go. really crystal clear vo- voice like super crystal clear um not tenor belty um tenor my dad too <laughs> did your dad play the saxophone no oh, okay. he played the guitar but wow wow yeah if only yeah but uh yeah you so the the growing up in the church being really heavily involved and and feeling like there's there's you're surrounded by music and art and like beautiful beautiful things i was always fascinated by all the images in the church word up so fascinating like who who drew that who made that why would they glass stained glass all of that the statues even i you know it's interesting i haven't i hadn't really thought about that but there is a deep connection too. And, and after my father's passing, my mother gave me one of his pastoral stoles. Mm. And when my parents were courting, um, which was a, a big deal in the 60s, um, white woman, black man. Um, and my mother had handmade or got handmade mm-hmm. some stoles for him for his ordination. Mm. And they're beautiful the colors are exquisite the messaging on them is profound and powerful um and it's and it's artistry mm-hmm. you know so I, I and whether you you know you think about it, yes it could be considered a costume but i guess on some level i'm just putting all these pieces together mm-hmm. in this conversation yeah. in this way but all of those multi-elements that make up artistry, whether that's visual art, performance art, sound, music, theatrics, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I would even go so far as to say puppetry and a whole other host of things mm-hmm. that show up um, or did show up in my experience in the church created the likelihood that I would attribute power to artistry. That is to say that I experience art as ritual and that becomes a spiritual experience absolutely now that's not to say like i use art to proselytize unless it's proselytizing the change and that we need in the world okay that might be true um but uh that art really does give us the power to transcend and transform Mm mm-hmm and heal and heal healing it's a big thing right now healing i i hadn't really thought about it like that either that there's something there's something to hold on to so just sticking with the dad narrative that my father went to uh, a jesuit college he had his family was methodist and he converted to roman catholicism which was a huge big deal yeah then he goes to a jesuit college doesn't go back home for various reasons. Where was back home from? Uh, he grew up in Phoenix City, Alabama, um, Columbus, Georgia, like ah, that, the border okay. there. Um, eventually, he does go back home, but like it was not a happy home life. Um, and uh, was really considering going into the priesthood, like actually going all the way down that road. And, yeah. and at some point, he meets my mom and is like, oh. 
but but this is the road. The, but this is the road and but this was um for him it was a, it was a very important piece of his life that he tried to you know really instill in both myself and my sister and i the ritual piece that you what you talked about when um when teaching and you know creating these rituals and thinking about how um in de- developmentally routine is very important for young people and then making things a routine a ritual and having there be beauty and access and energy that's flowing and something that for me is safe as a, as a young person, I know what this is and it's fun and it's this, and it shows me that I can, I can learn in a fun way. You know what I mean? Like there's just this um, lovely power. I like that. I, I like that very much. Yeah. Connections all over the place. I'm look, I think what we do in, in the classrooms and the many different ways that we do it uh, is, is a healing practice. Mm -hmm. And so healing doesn't happen, nor does art by accident per se. Mm -hmm. It takes some intentionality, takes creativity. um, It takes a bucket load of love. And I think that that's, in part why I get drawn back to do it over and over again, Mm -hmm. because I can realize that the efforts that I make both prior to and in the classroom serve me as much as it does the teachers and students I work with. So when did you, when did you start working in this field? Such a wild story, kind of, Mm -hmm. sort of, (laughs) um, Okay, because now now that we got on the church train, a whole other like thing came to my mind. Um, so you can you can go yeah, with no, that, I'm gonna, down I'm gonna, that path. I, no, I'm getting well. So when I when I first started, I didn't real we didn't call it teaching artistry back in the day. Like teaching artist TA, that whole language came more recently than me starting to do this work. Uh I have historically attributed my days with the puppet wagon through the parks in high school as my first teaching artistry experience. Nice. Um, and that still is true, but I, was, I just remembered also around that time, I also happened to become a character called Captain Bible. What now? I know, this is shocking. <laughs> I, this is, I, I, I wish people... If I heard someone to say that, <laughs> I might shudder. And uh, it's funny that I'm the person saying it. Uh, so yeah, so those were some experiences, though. Um, you know, Mr. McGruff in the mm-hmm. park, puppet yeah. wagon, mm-hmm. um, summers uh, in in the town that I lived in, were my first, I would say, super concrete experiences. Uh, I was also a Girl Scout. And... Um, if you're familiar with Girl Scouting. I, I never made it past brownies, but I am. My mother was a troop leader. A troop leader. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. I, I'm a strong supporter of the Girl Scouts. Yeah. I actually worked for the organization for a short term, too, um, which is hard to do because it's a 98% volunteer organization. So, Ooh. you know, I was in the 2% for two yeah, seconds. Man. Anyway, um, in Girl Scouts, when you move through the system, the, you know, the, I was going to say matriculate, but that's not really the word, but 
uh, as you get older, um, like Boy Scouts have the Eagles Award, we have the Gold Award, uh-huh. and it uh, is accompanied by a project. And uh, the project that I did was actually develop a multicultural educational curriculum for the um, elementary schools in the town that I lived in. Um, and so that was maybe my first time doing How curriculum old were development. You? I was 16. I love it. I know, right? <laughs> and yet, I, I don't know why. Like, I love it, and also, I'm so not surprised knowing you. I know that this is this is how it started for you. Like, I I need to give something. I need to create something and give it to the young people. <laughs> I know it's funny because I actually haven't thought about that or talked about that in a really long time. Mm. But yeah, no, I think we call we call it rainbow something. Um, and I don't know that it really ever got used, and that's um, in part, I guess. Um, I'm sure it's a criticism on many things, but what I will call attention to is the lack of commitment on the part of at that time what was a very white community mm-hmm. um, who was only peripherally interested in having a educational system that really was more responsive to um, folks outside of the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what was what do you remember what the curriculum uh, looked like? It was like, uh, it was activities and like lesson plans for elementary school teachers to try with their students to help get them thinking outside of their world, um, helping them to expand uh, the ways that they see the world. Because at that time too, um, so I'd grown up in Los Angeles, but my family moved to Minnesota when I was in high school. and. You know, like if my dad didn't come and read MLK's, you know, I have a dream speech in February, like, like where was the black programming? Um, yeah. So I, I think growing up in a very, very integrated Los Angeles mm-hmm. and, and went to an art school, I should also say in Los Angeles, um, Los Angeles Center for Enriched Studies. Mm-hmm. It's quite a cool place um to then go to suburbia minnesota uh where there was no racial ethnic diversity um of any uh i'm like i'm thinking about like the number of people i knew at that time it was real abysmal and um yeah so so what how old are you when you moved when your family moved to minnesota I was young. Um, I was going into my sophomore year of high school. Um, and so how, yeah. so that, so you, you, your f- group of friends, the people that you're surrounded with, uh, by in Los Angeles is pretty integrated and multi, multicultural. And very Jewish and, too. And quite Jewish. Yeah. Um, and then you moved to Minnesota. So what's going through your brain when you're in school? and looking around the makeup of your, the population. Culture shock Mm -hmm. is really the best way to describe it. It was culture shock. Um, And that same ways that we think about what shock does to um, a human being, like when you're shocked, Mm -hmm. you, you don't uh, necessarily 
uh, stay attuned to all the things that are happening. You, you know, when you're in shock, you just, you just go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in many ways that was a survival strategy and mm-hmm. a part of, um, uh, resilience tactics that, that happened to a lot of, of people who, um, find themselves in an environment that, uh, now when I look back on it, I could not have named it this way in high school, but was a traumatic environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you hear that a lot of, uh, from people of color who are one or, uh, represent a small population of people of color in an environment mm-hmm. that it can actually be quite traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it feeds a lot of really unhelpful, uh, behavioral practices, you know, where you end up rep- being expected to represent a whole race of people. Um, and actually, frankly, much more than that. I mean, mm-hmm. you are expected to represent everything that is not white. Um, and something that people have come to believe is white because what is really white? All the constructs that are associated with that. So um, in hindsight, it was really traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to take a snap, I mean, I think... Um, Oh gosh, I should try to find out. My mother would know the answer to this. Like I was voted most likely to something in high school, like, (laughs) I don't know, not succeed, but be involved. I don't know what it was, you know, and I was voted to many different student government positions and all that kind of stuff. I was captain of my high school swim team and do you want me to hold this? Okay. (laughs) I can do it for a little bit. Give you, give you a little break. Um, so I was highly active in high school, like, so, so that, that I find, like the letter jacket I find, was I find full. that really interesting because you're talking it, I'm still I'm so curious how the arts are part like from from Los Angeles to Minnesota how right. the arts still present or are the arts oh, present yeah. in your life but what you just said is really interesting to me that you 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 went into some sort of shock because of the lack of of uh, diversity like, yeah diversity people who are you know have different kinds of experiences um different kinds of practices etc in one spot or in one area and yet you were so involved in school in 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 my opinion some people would completely retreat right and instead oh, yeah. you like you seem to dive using yeah. the 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 swimming metaphor oh. you seem to dive right into the deep end and and touch the bottom of that pool right oh yeah yeah and then come up so with that, a little that synchronized that to me move. says something about who you are oh yeah you know well yeah and i think it and i think it has to do i think it has to do with me i also think it has to do with my family so just connect that back mm-hmm. to the intentionality that my parents had around making different activities available to me growing up Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to get involved like without saying it was an expectation that that was what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I was still involved in Girl Scouts in Minnesota, obviously. Um, I was in choirs, uh, plural. I was uh, captain of my high school swim team. I was uh, National Forensics League. I was in student government. Uh, I did cheerleading at one point, which in high school, this is so funny. I've not said these things in so long. I can't believe I remember. I think I used to say, cause I used to kind of like be a bit disparaging towards cheerleaders. And I had this like idea that, um, if you can't knock anything until you try it. 
And so, uh, which also would encourage me to do a lot of things. Mm. Um, so I did cheerleading. Um, I feel like there was a few other activities that I have That's a lot. since forgotten. That but is yeah. a lot. I, 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 I just, to, to, to stick on the same, um, you know, where I was at the, at the same time. So I grew up I, where I was born is where I grew up. So I never moved except I moved different houses and within the but same still town. The same area. Um, and so I was definitely, um, I was a minority within a my within like within the town of where there were minorities, if that makes any sense. So there was a specific, uh, elementary school that because there was a, a, um, a particular area in the town where most people who are low income, who happened to be both, you know, people of color, um, they all lived and I did not live there. Word. So Word I went to Get a school it. where I was one of two black people. Many, there were many Latinos, there were other Asians, there were, there were other, there was a multitude of, of people of color, but yep. I was one of two black people. And uh, you know, you, w how you operate is, is based on what su surrounds you. Right. So I had this very, um, I basically didn't talk <laughs> in elementary school. Oh, elementary school. I didn't talk, I was, I didn't I talk to anybody unless I had, unless they talked to me, but I had a core group of friends that I was the coolest with. So like people would see me like hanging and chilling, but then in other contexts, I would just be silent because mostly I was observing and being mm. like, what's happening? I don't get it. I just didn't understand. Yeah. And I didn't understand like why people were popular versus why people weren't and why people were mean to each other. Like what? I didn't understand any of that. Mm -hmm. And, and then people would be mean to me, but I was also able to sort of be like, because I was so quiet, I could just say something. And then people would be like, Oh, hmm. you know, I, and then not everybody's nice in general. And then you put, you know, a racial epithet on top of that, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. By seventh grade, we moved into a new school, uh, and all the elementary schools dumped into this school. So all of a sudden, right. I'm now going to school with other people who are also black and all these other white kids <laughs> that I've never seen. And somehow everybody just sort of sorts out into their cliques. And for whatever reason, I'm not clicking with the other black kids. And so now I have this other kind of thing going on where I, again, have my sort of core group of friends and most of them, while they're not all white, they're not black. And there's, so that creates a whole other layer of why, why, why aren't you need to step to us? And I would, didn't think the same. I was like, well, if we, if, if you just want to know me, then why don't, can't we just know each other? Mm -hmm. So I made a decision then that like, I'm going to just hang out with people that I like because they like me and if you don't like me it's because you don't know me and yeah. i'm not necessarily gonna unless we're like paired up or something i'm not gonna go out of my way either mm -hmm. and that may or may not have been the best idea but it was what worked for me <laughs> well I, yeah i i think it's i don't think it's great to like judge our choices in adolescence sure. you know sure, i mean exactly. i think like we see them for what they were and to your point but we are products of our environments good you know not that i moved halfway across the country but like that was a big culture shock and i had a moment where i could be like i'm gonna retreat or i'm gonna i'm just gonna make this particular decision and i'm gonna just have fun yeah i mean i guess i mean i can relate and resonate with that too like even growing up in los angeles you know my, my closest friends were jewish mm. that was who the people who i spent the most time with i would say in los angeles so um 
And I would say I certainly felt ostracized by a variety of different communities, mm-hmm. black and otherwise, mm-hmm. um, throughout my life. Um, so I can resonate with that. What what happened when you went to high school? So high school was just up the block. Uh, and initially I was, I could have been that kid who dropped out. Like something in high school just wasn't jiving with me. And it was because I wasn't involved in anything. I would basically like go to class and like leave school and like hang out. And I wasn't doing great in, in my classes. Like just some, you know, unless it like, it was just easy. This is so not the picture of you I know, I know, I know, I know. Wow. But I, but like my, so my sister is four years older than me and uh, I'm, I'm unclear exactly <laughs> what her reputation was, but she was pretty tight with a bunch of kids who were uh, also black and our principal our so there was a principal of the school and then each grade had its own assistant principal and our assistant principal was his her assistant principal and within a, the first week of class he was a he was black and very like very stern mr campbell we all grew to love him but within the first week he came up to me and said you're Je- jennifer body's sister i've got my eye on you and i was like what i haven't even done it what and so that like became this sort of like, well, you know, F it then. What mm. if he already thinks I'm one way, which I'm not, I'm actually pretty okay. What do I do? Mm. What am I going to do? Like, yeah, how yeah, can yeah. I change his mind? But oh my gosh. what ended up happening is that my, my, some of my friends were getting involved in things and I was like, I would just like sort of show up at things. I wasn't doing, I was sort of sit in like the corner and be like, what's going on? Or go to my friend's game if they were in a game and I'd be like, what is this? And then there was something about like, oh, there's like camaraderie. I don't even understand what this game is, but that looks cool. So then I I would say things like, well, I can help carry equipment. You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got to my sophomore year, it was sort of like, if I don't get involved and do something, then A, I'm not going to get into college. And I kind of have this expectation of getting into college. And B, maybe high school would be better maybe it might be a little more fun. So I went from like completely not engaged in anything. Although I took choir for um, my art elective because I hated visual arts because I just wasn't good at it, but I loved singing. I had auditioned for the um, school play, but didn't get in. So that was like another setback for me. And that was freshman year. And then I auditioned for the choir and I didn't get in. So I was like, hmm. I keep, tr- I'm trying, I try a little bit and I'm not getting anywhere, but then something, I don't know what happened, but I was like, you know what, maybe I'll do some community service. So I worked with, in a senior citizen home as part of the Maybe I'll club. do some community <laughs> service. Maybe I'll just do something that's for somebody else and not I just wish me. more people had that, like woke up in the morning, was just like, hmm, coffee and yes community oh, service community that'd be service. good, that'd be good. And, it was, and it was something with the senior se- uh, senior center and it was just fun it was fun like here were all these seniors who were happy and singing songs and sort of you know like you know they've got walkers and whatnot but they were they were happy that young people were hanging out with them yeah and for me that was like this is this is something that i would i like Super if there's not a whole lot of pressure it's just the like literally the goal was spend time with people and I was like, I can do that. And then you just play cards or hang out and help somebody, get them some water, chat. I can do that. 
And then I was like, oh, and there's there's the um, Make a Wish Foundation. I can I can join that. I can do some fundraising and help a kid, a terminal kid, have a get a wish. And then all of a sudden, I was elected vice president. And you know, so these like once I started deciding to give as opposed to try and I don't know, I don't know. There's something's changed. And then I was like, okay, I can do sports. So I I literally went from doing nothing to by my senior year. I did sports every single semester. I was in plays. I was in all these different clubs and this community service um, oriented clubs and whatnot. And I also was a part of the flag corps. That is what I'm talking about. And the flag corps, which is, was a part of the band. And the, there was the portets, which is our <gasps> dance team. And we went to uh, the orange ball. We went to oh, all these college wow. parades um, so I went to the, I went to the Orange Bowl, but the the band and the and the and the whole crew went to uh, the one in Dallas. What is that? The Cotton Bowl. There's a Cotton mm. Bowl. There's a Pineapple Bowl. The Rose Bowl. All of those. I only know the Rose Bowl because <laughs> we used to for the Rose Parade. We'd camp out the night before mm-hmm. in the street and watch the parade every year growing up as a kid. I don't think Port was there, but at some point they got there. That's cool. Going to the Orange Bowl. That was a crazy. That was such a crazy trip. Anyway, so so for me, high school in terms of like black, white and other ethnicities was um, less important, but definitely felt. Yeah. And there was a, an identity thing there, right? There's like, who, who am I? Am I black enough? Probably not according to somebody else. Oh yeah, for sure. Am I, am I feeling good about who I am? Yeah. And do I care what other people think? Probably, probably more than I should, but not all that much. I think that's human. <laughs> I think that's really, really, really human. And maybe I feel like it's human just because I relate to it, but I I do hear that sentiment echoed in the lives of other people I care about. And um, yeah, Yeah. I I think that we we care about what other people think about us. And that's not altogether a bad thing. I agree it shouldn't be the driving force force for all of our decision-making or the development of of our own self-consciousness per se. But I don't think it's a bad thing to care what other people think about you. I think it's about balance. I understand what you're saying. I think that there can be people who make decisions based on what other people think about them. And that was the thing that I wanted to stop doing. Yeah. Um, And that happened for me at different parts in my childhood and in my adulthood. Yeah. Um, definitely when I, you know, I would have a moment where, you know, everybody's trying to like get in with the in crowd and then it's like, you know what, they're a bunch of jerks. So why am I trying? Stop. Word up. And then, you know, like you have those moments where you're like, you know what? No. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think that that continues in adulthood. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. So I feel like look at politics myself, but that's Look good. at politics. Po- politics. People trying to get in the in crowd, doing whatever they can to have a sense of you know, importance I, or where worth. Where are the core values? Where How are the do core you stick values? To that and be like, tr- you know who? You know, I'm gonna say it. Elizabeth Warren. She's got some hard I, core I'm into values. That. I'm into and that. She sticks. You know, and yet politically, she's also a little savvy. Let's just say it. A very very smart woman. Um. um so I want to get back to yeah. Let's get you. back to it. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to me. Let's talk more about me. Um, so you wrote that curriculum at sixteen. 
and you're you're very heavily involved in school and the Girl Scouts and I'm sure. Oh my I God. I, yeah. Oh. Is there any, there's a few other things I was like, Oh, and oh. I also went on a, uh, I spent a summer at the university of Virginia, the graduate school of business Darden for uh, young people of color. They flew them from all over the country to study business yeah. um, during the summer. So I did that just a random tidbit that just came to my mind. The lead program. You, whenever I think of Sydney, I think, I think random. Some, no, I think like you, you always have some, you've, somebody says something like I was in the Girl Scouts, let's as an example, and you can say, oh, and make clear connections from your life to whatever that situation is. You're like a, you're a panoply. I don't know that word you just said. And I like words. What did uh, you say? I think it's the right word. I no, have to look I, it up. <laughs> That's all right. But a panoply, it's like a like cornucopia, but oh, I know panoply, cornucopia. I think that's there, because I almost said cornucopia, and then I was like, no. Oh, now I want to tell you my cornucopia story, which ex- <laughs> exemplifies your example. So I'm gay, and on Thanksgiving holidays can be hard for gay people because their families don't know how to love us, mm. right? So I used to do a um, a special. Uh, Thanksgiving on the day of Thanksgiving um, celebration at my home for intentional family. So after people went and were traumatized by their actual families, they would all come to my house and we would party and we had a cornucopia on the dining room table and people would write on slips of paper, the things that they were thankful for and put it in the cornucopia. Mm -hmm. And then as the night progressed into the wee hours of the next Friday morning, we would read aloud those things that we were thankful for. Um, and of course, we don't really celebrate what people are often celebrating when they celebrate Thanksgiving, but we try to do a reclamation around um, community on those moments when, you know, gay folks, LGBTQI mm. folks are really uh, traumatized. What does the I stand for? I, R-S-V-P-Q-W-L-M-Z. What? So the the acronym is the acronym is growing all the time. I mean, yeah. Intersectional sometimes intersectional. is uh, uh, intersexed is sometimes I, but mm. I is also sometimes used in other ways. I I, I have to be honest. Um, as a lesbian, mm. I am not always as up to date as I should be on all of the happenings. But intersexed is sometimes what I is, but. Um, is there an yeah. A in there for like asexual? Is that a is that a thing? Not not maybe. I know it's a. Th- I'm sorry. I I know that there are people who are asexual. I meant is it uh, a is part there of the, is the, is mm, the uh, I mean same gender grows. loving is sometimes also used. What is it? Same gender loving same that gender comes loving. up a lot in um, black communities, mm-hmm. uh, where being identified as lesbian or gay doesn't feel right, but same gender loving does. Um, I. I semantics and language are really important and powerful and i'm feeling ill-equipped in this moment to respond well, more i think it's i think it's a it's that's good right that means that we have some work to do to learn there you go so we don't have to we can move on but i think i do think just going back to what you were talking about around art being a spiritual um process and having the uh, the power of healing i feel like you are um, in various ways, looking for healing for people, for yourself, with people, creating communities for healing. Just talking about this last, um, what did you call it? Your Thanksgiving? 
your party yeah i don't know what we it, really have like we have friends giving Oh, I've friends had giving. I've friends giving oh, is yeah. fun. I don't I don't know if we ever officially I mean cuz this is also pre like when you make invites for things like the internet didn't exist in that way mm-hmm. so, so we didn't like, have to title things like people now have to do <laughs> like if you're having a party it needs a title. I love I love titles um, in general. I mean it's kind of what I do in terms of like lesson planning. Every lesson plan has a cute little title. Like every activity has a title. I mean we I have, like that <laughs> thing but we never the, the, the event never, I guess, necessitated it in in a way that was really. You know, it doesn't need a title. Yeah, cool. but that, but I think that that's that's a definite like for you a, a value. Yes, I would agree. Uh, are there other values that you hold? Yes, probably too many. Name a few. So uh, integrity is big for me. Honesty is big for me uh i have um a value that i have that is can be somewhat um counterproductive a little bit but um the the value of of tenacity or drive or to be driven um is a value that i have Mm -hmm. Um, other values are around collaboration, um, collective community, accountability. Those are the, do you feel like when you say you, you, you have so many and those are really strong ones that you named and I'm sure there are many more, do you feel burdened by that many? No, no, I, I don't. No, I don't. I don't feel, look, I, whether it's effed up or not, I, I do feel more responsibility to show up for my people, my community, my family and friends in ways that hopefully mean something. And that doesn't feel like a burden. That feels like a calling and a calling feels like, um, I have in my, I didn't come up with it. Someone else said it, but hope grounded in purpose. I have a little uh, piece of art that my girlfriend helped me make Mm. that is in my house and it says hope grounded in purpose and I think for me I have a kind of spiritual calling to continue that work it doesn't feel burdensome at all that's great yeah I I really like that phrase oppression feels burdensome well yeah I'm just gonna say that you can you can say more about that if you like. Oh, there's a lot to say there, um, but that feels like a burden. Um, white supremacy feels like a burden. Patriarchy feels like a burden. Mm-hmm. Homophobia feels like a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, other people diminishing the humanity of other people. That that those that feels like a burden. Mm-hmm. The work I do feels like a gift. Mm-hmm. I not to like. I don't know. I hope this doesn't, I hope this sounds genuine, but like, I think you are a gift to people because you have, not only do you have all those core values and this calling, as you say, but you have the skill sets to make stuff happen. You bring people together. You have this uh, way of being able to make connections and get things done. You're, you're organizing rallies, you're organizing events, concerts, you know, also you're flying people in, you're creating, you do panels, like you do a lot of work and 
I don't think that I fully understood not knowing everything about your background and everything that you just said now. I have often looked at you and been like, wow, I don't know how she does it. Like, I feel like I do a lot of work, but I do it for my, my work is very grounded in, in the job that I have. And then there's other things that I do, but I'm not as, as, um, uh, what do you call yourself? Artivist, <laughs> you know, I'm not as activist as, as I think you are. And sometimes not to compare, but there are moments where I'm like, maybe I should be more like that, you know, but having a better understanding of, of your, how you grew up and how you, the kind of, um, values that your family instilled in you that it's it makes so much more sense to me mm-hmm. um or at least i have a better understanding of how it how it all got cultivated yeah and that's a, that's an that's a it's it's a powerful thing i used to watch my like my uh my dad used to like go to rallies and be a part of like sort of radical rogue uh organizations that wanted to change the church like he would love the current pope oh my gosh he would absolutely love this new, this pope mm-hmm. but um um you know and probably push this pope know, to and, continue and, to do and he would he work, would continue yeah. but he would he would be really excited about the kind of progress that he was trying to to make even though it hasn't quite trickled down all the way through um but I used to look at him and think the same thing. Like he would go and he did the same thing for the Obama campaign in 2008. Like he, he was still alive when he got elected. He was not alive when he got inaugurated, but there was this moment where he, he was canvassing, he was going out, he was making calls. And for me that I also was like, I love that you're doing that. That's not my thing. That that's not where I put my efforts, but I love that people are there doing that. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I don't, Look, there's a lot of people who do really admirable work that I would suck at. <laughs> I, I don't think it's about us all doing the same thing. I think yeah. that that would actually be catastrophic and and would not yield particularly good outcomes. Do I think we could collectively be a bit more strategic? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I also don't think we should all be doing the same things. Yeah. And I think that um, you know more and more what I'm really trying to do is to create alignment within the many different things that I do such that I feel like I'm creating some kind of traction. So I offer mm. that to you to think about, well, how can I think about the work that I currently do mm. where I do feel like, you know, I'm driven or have a sense of purpose or, or being, mm. and how can I make sure that that is in alignment with my values? I think that that's, um, I think that's a healthy practice to cultivate throughout one's life and I hope that I can continue to do that and I'm not always successful at that at all um and to I do think I am a connector I think that connections are really important to me uh however it's certain kinds of connections I've also come to understand that and and that actually I learned that in my teaching artistry in many ways actually mm-hmm. um right I'm not well suited prepared strong enough to be a classroom teacher Mm. right Mm -hmm. I know that I function better as the magic maker who comes in and goes away uh I take that responsibility very very seriously uh but I also know that like I I can't be a school administrator I can't be a classroom teacher um the kinds of I believe that I do create deep relationships quickly, mm-hmm. but they are not um, relationships that 
my skill sets, my desire, my whatever it is, the, the chemistry that makes me who I am makes me want to hold fast to a small number of relationships for a very, very long time. That's not to say that I don't hold core relationships like that in my life. I do. Mm. But I also can see great value in cultivating deep and profound relationships that maybe have some, um, not impermanence, but what's the word you would say that is um, episodic or... Um, maybe even transient. Mm. Um, and to me, actually, I feel like that, that is, it is really important. And maybe I do take that really seriously to say that I believe, and this is a little bit different than a value, it's a belief. I actually believe that you can love a stranger. Mm. And that is something that a lot of people don't believe. Mm -hmm. And something that a lot of people think sounds wild and crazy. But I actually believe that I can love a stranger. And and it's not because my heart is bigger than someone else's. It's just that my heart is different. Mm. And I think that I can extend loving kindness to someone I don't know in that way. Thank you for listening to Episode 6, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Signe Haraday, The Radical Poetry of a Calling. Join us next time for Act 2. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all of the teaching artists in your life. People like you and me Let's start it up now 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 now.